0: Hello, and welcome to Fact Schmacks. It's the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name's Matt, and I've got a story to tell you. And my name's Kev. I have a story to interrupt. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? I'm pretty good, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. I cannot wait to get into this Fact schmax game, so let us do it.
1: Oh, just right into it. That was the most direct Absolutely. you've ever been.
0: Yep. I had well, Nothing.
1: Nothing. You know, nothing two nothing weeks in to the prepare tank, and nothing. nothing
0: in the head Alright, fair enough Empty head, empty heart Well, I don't
1: think your heart is quite empty In fact, mm-hmm. I think it's filled up a lot With our following a subject We're going to test your knowledge base On one of your Lifelong heroes Oh? Yes Today's Fact Schmacks Is all about Mel Gibson <laughs> What? Don't don't play coy with me. No, <laughs> we we all know about your Mel Gibson obsession, the posters, the movie collection, the books, the autobiographies.
0: I thought Loaded Weapon might have been a better weapon than or better movie than Lethal Weapon.
1: I don't. Know. You can play it down for the fans all you want. <laughs> I know the truth. We're gonna talk about Mel
0: Gibson. Uh, the noted anti Semite Mel Gibson.
1: Hey. Not all of our heroes are perfect. <laughs> you know that saying okay. never meet your heroes. All right. Factor schmacked, Matt. Mel Gibson's yes. full name is Mel Colmesle Gerard Gibson. Okay. Okay. Factor. I love how you look at me like that. Like You're just like, I don't understand the shtick or what you're doing. Yeah. but (laughs) That's
0: that's exactly what I'm looking Uh, at you like.
1: (laughs) I know that look. Factor schmacked, Mel received the highest praise of all for his film, The Passion of the Christ, receiving an honorary priesthood for his historically accurate and unflinching portrayal of Christ's final days.
0: Okay. Not, nothing. <laughs> well, listen, man, if I start, <laughs> i got to get four words in before you go, fact or schmack, <laughs> All
1: right, fact or schmack, because of his mother, Mel maintains dual Australian-American citizenship.
0: um okay wow three very mundane facts about Mel Gibson your hero
1: it's not <laughs> I want to
0: repeat this not my hero I do not think the two of us have ever discussed Mel Gibson before yeah This is killing you. (laughs) Listener Kevin is having a hard time speaking. He's laughing so hard right now about this stupid bit. (laughs) All right. Well, let's go through them, Kevin. (laughs) So his name is Melanie. Oh, my God.
1: That is exactly what I wanted out of that. Wow. <laughs> uh, oh. Mel <laughs> Colmiso <the> soul- Trard.
0: <laughs> you can't even get through his name.
1: <laughs> Every time I look up at the screen. <laughs>
0: And I'm just looking at you kind of disappointedly and a little confused.
1: Oh my god, man. Oh, that face. That face is me. Alright, right whatever.
0: Now. Fuck it. I'm just gonna say it's the second one.
1: Is what? True or false?
0: Is false.
1: <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a schmacked. Uh, so so, so, is, the so is the third thing. one.
0: The only thing that was true was his name. Yeah.
1: Which sounds totally made up. You're a dumbass. Uh oh, shit.
0: Oh, Adam's gonna have a riot with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, there are, after all, some chemicals that explode shatteringly, some that flame ravenously, some that corrode hellishly, some that poison sneakily, and some that stink stenchily. As far as I know, though, only liquid rocket fuels have all those delightful properties combined into one delectable whole. That was uh, Isaac Asimov uh, wrote that. Essentially a word. Um, Uh, According to Isaac Asimov, it was. And are you in any position to disagree with him?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Probably not.
0: I didn't think so. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what we're going to be talking about today, ultimately, is the sort of thing that only happens um inside of a dynamic. People will make decisions that seem kind of ridiculous on the face. Um like the, and this only really like happens because of the dy- yeah, because the <laughs> dynamic that uh that people are uh in. Well we're gonna we're gonna end um it, it, or we're gonna start at the end of a period that's pretty contentious for Mal Gibson. Uh at the end of the <laughs> Second World War um Oh boy the world was in a pretty Weird spot when you get right down to it. Uh, The Western world, mostly the U.S., um, had leveraged uh, superiority in manufacturing and technological development and uh, naval naval and air supremacy to bring bring Japan to its knees. And at the same time, the Soviet Union had marched halfway across Europe with the largest land army ever assembled uh, and were hanging around Western Germany. There was, you know, a real fear uh, that uh, the USSR was going to, you know, kind of Leroy Jenkins and march over the rest of Europe. Really, what was stopping them? Um, well, as far as the U.S. was concerned, the only thing that was stopping them really was, was them and their atomic bomb. Uh, you know. There
1: was a lot of pressure at the time, I believe, for um, <clears throat> Roosevelt no, not Roosevelt. Uh, who came after Roosevelt? No, Truman. Uh, Truman. Truman. Yeah.
0: And then Eisenhower.
1: For, for Truman and uh, Eisenhower to use the bomb, Eisenhower famously uh, had that speech when he left about the threat of the military industrial complex. I don't know if you ever watched that. It's a pretty, mm-hmm. Pretty fascinating little speech.
0: Pretty I don't telling. know if it was yeah, I should have um, I should have looked this particular one up. I, supposedly, it was either Truman or Eisenhower that directly threatened to drop a bomb on the on the Soviets at least twice. Basically, move this army or it's yeah, it's going to be was, gone one way or another. There was a lot of
1: pressure, <laughs> and the reasoning was either we bomb them now or they get a bomb, mm-hmm. and you know then then what happened, right? So
0: yeah, um, the USSR, on the other hand, had not trusted the Americans going pretty much right back to the uh, Bolshevik revolution, you know, cause the Americans had been meddling in that going pretty much well right back to then, um, you know, as they are wont to do with their views towards communism, not just uh, speaking a politically in a, how they, what they believe and how they behave sense. They have sort of an ideological, um, what would you call that uh, ideological uh, disagreement with the whole communism sure. thing uh, as a foreign policy and as a domestic policy um, now four years after the end of world war ii uh, the ussr completed development of their own atom bomb uh, and the cold war as this period is known got a lot more dangerous for the west it had already been you know pretty dangerous for for russia uh, now having an atom bomb is is pretty great but you really need a way to get it from point a to point b uh ideally you want point b to be pretty far away from point a i think for obvious reasons sure um yeah planes are a a good way of doing that but you know planes get shot down um they also have limited range they have limited range um you know they they've now they have functionally human, indefinite range, but at the time error, they had human
1: add, error too. I mean, you,
0: you know, all sorts of reasons. See their mission, and uh, you know, at least from a, from a military standpoint, you certainly don't want to be a position if you're exchanging nukes to be, you know, only receiving and not uh, and not giving.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah.
0: It, yeah. In that scenario, right? So, enter the ICBM. What is an ICBM? It's an
1: intercontinental ballistic missile.
0: You win a prize. That prize is nothing. Uh, <laughs> but that is, <laughs> that is correct. Basically, a missile that travels in an arc, which we would call a ballistic trajectory, uh, over a very long distance. Could be between continents if you really wanted it to be. Uh, generally, the way one of these things works is they go up above the atmosphere and then they come crashing down at speeds of about seven kilometers per second, carrying a warhead that weighs somewhere in the neighborhood of six to ten tons. Um, even without explosives on it, m- mind you, or, you know, by the way, just the impact from something that heavy hitting going that fast would do a considerable amount of damage. Oh, for sure, yeah.
1: <clears throat> now they you have ever... multiple entry uh, or Merv. Or Merv or MREV. Uh, Maybe it's MREV. Um, In Fallout, it was Merv, so I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Basically, it's multiple entry, re entry vehicles, which means instead of just one more head, now they have several. Uh, It could be as much as 10 or 15. Sure. And they. Five, six, whatever. I mean, one nuke is really bad. Multiple nukes
0: is even worse. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the uh, that's the <clears throat> idea. Just on this, this idea of um, just the kinetic impact there, did you hear, I was reading recently about this U.S. project that they were thinking about where they would essentially have telephone pole sized rods of tungsten in space and just drop them on a place that they wanted to bomb. Just that, just a, a piece of tungsten that big, and it would create a an explosion roughly the size of of a nuclear bomb. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. That much energy oh, on that impact.
1: Means, that needs to be looked into.
0: Yeah. Now, it was called like it had a crazy name too. It was like Project Thor or something. Of makes, course. That makes
1: sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean I I could kind of see it, but I thought that a lot of the things that came crashing down, like it if the space station Came crashing down. It wouldn't be a nuclear explosion at the bottom. I always thought that things that crashed on Earth, largely empty. So you're saying the density of these things is what would cause the issue with the well, speed? Well, it
0: would. It's the it's. I mean, energy is just a function of you know speed versus um, mass. Well, it's yeah mass mass and speed, times right?
1: uh, acceleration is your force right
0: yeah, so you have something going you know it would be going terminal on the velocity. order of seven kilometers per second oh, it would be <clears> going <throat> way faster than terminal velocity get, because it would be telephone pole shaped it wouldn't get slowed down nearly to terminal velocity it'd be going so much <laughs> faster than that
1: <laughs> you know what i you know what I think would make for a great show is like for somebody who's like actually like a physicist or or you know smart. To actually, yeah. kind of pick apart our theories. <clears throat> like, is term like terminal velocity? Is terminal velocity the fastest you can fall? Or well, it's the fastest.
0: It's the fastest that gra- Earth's gravity would just accelerate you to if you fell from a building at atmosphere level. Okay, but if you're orbiting around the planet at sixteen you know, kilometers per second, and all of a sudden you just get you know. Nudged into the planet, you're still going at 16 kilometers per second all the way down, right?
1: Yeah, I guess. Eh, and then you're saying so, seven kilometers per second is what you would hit. That's at? about
0: that's well, that's about what a war uh, an ICBM hits 7, at seven thousand meters a second. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's probably pretty hard.
0: That's all. It's real fast.
1: So hold up, then hold up, hold up. <laughs> are you telling me that? Like basically, I don't know, like I'm thinking of like a telephone pole sized tungsten rod and I'm trying to think like density wise. There
0: there must be a reason why it was telephone pole like shaped for reentry and, you know, (laughs) all that. Right. Yeah. Maybe that's just an efficient way to get it up there. I don't know. But uh, yeah, well, like, I'm just I, trying to
1: think of like a satellite or something that could come down. Anything orbiting the earth is traveling super fast.
0: It's basically, mm-hmm, but it's not, it's not dense like that, right? Because stuff's heavy. Getting it up there is heavy. Yeah. You know, or, or uh, anything you do get up there is, is you, you have to have enough fuel to, to get it there. The 10 ton So you're saying uh, getting warhead, it up is difficult. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you got ten tons, you're slinging around. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like the ten ton warhead takes up a full, you know, two stage rocket to get it uh, across continent. Yeah, so it takes a lot of fuel, and
1: just, yeah,
0: it's it's just hard to get things into space. So I don't, th- I, right, like Sputnik was just a metal sphere with an antenna. I don't think they, I don't think it did anything. Yeah, you don't think it was super ping. heavy or. No. It's really hard to get things into space. Yeah. Hey, that's the, uh, that's the prohibitive factor.
1: Have you seen the uh, kinetic launcher that they have now? Kinetic launcher. So it's like this spinning disc that uh, starts to accelerate, spins around super fast like a centrifuge, and then at yeah. a certain point on the uh, you know, at a certain point in its arc, it releases a projectile. Think like uh, launching a satellite, almost like firing an artillery shell. I and that's not something the that thing. they have. I think it is, or it's something that they're working towards. No, I
0: think, I think it's they're something working that towards. somebody drew a picture it's, of. No,
1: it's no, it's <laughs> a thing. Made a funny it's animation a, of. <laughs> no, I'm going to show you after the show. It's a thing.
0: Oh, my God. The G-forces involved in that would be crazy. Uh. I don't know. I, yeah. Anyways, get back to ICBMs. Yeah, yeah. Let's um, get back to ICBMs. <laughs> we just got to real big time there. Big time. Yeah. Uh, they kind of, you know, I they really agree. changed the game uh, in a way that we're really kind of dealing with uh, today. We're still dealing with today. You know, war used to be weeks away with preparation that you could see coming. Now, total destruction is 45 minutes away wherever you are all the time. Dude, If that. If that. Um, Heavy stuff, but let's talk about one ICBM in particular. The R-16 was the first successful uh, ICBM that was developed by the Soviet Union. As with most kind of first-gen technology designs that they they did, they'd had some flaws, but but they sure went at it with gusto, Um, not to be dismissive of, you know, Soviet... uh, Advances, um, but uh, well, we'll get into it. So it had been designed by a, a so-called design bureau, which was a fancy name for a group of ex-Nazis being held semi-captive while they are forced to design rockets and planes and you know various uh, things. That's the U.S. Kinda, did <clears throat> yeah. more or less the same Operation thing. Operation like,
1: Paperclip.
0: Yeah, um, they had their own, own version of that. Yep,
1: Werner von Braun. They, he was a Nazi. A lot of people say that he should have been imprisoned because they would hang like the slowest Jews at the factory that made the V one rockets.
0: Oh yeah, he should, absolutely should have been. Yeah, and in and prison. then
1: he came here and he turned a blind eye to it.
0: Yep. Uh, they, in fact, they uh, kind of whitewashed his reputation and. Yeah. Got a bunch of ex Nazis into the uh, aerospace industry. <clears throat> yeah, there's another everyone one. did it right.
1: There's another one I, I can't remember if there's like a launch center named after him. There's an award named after him, and and he was like a a, a staunch Nazi as well. And yeah, same deal. Just uh, you know, just let it go. Um,
0: <clears throat> so it it had been uh, like I said, designed by this design bureau. Um, it was actually about 10 months ahead of schedule, this, this rocket, uh, which, uh, I'm sure a lot of people involved with the project were really excited about, uh, at the time, um, when they were ahead of schedule and they had this like working kind of test design. Um, uh, you know, I tend to think if you have the time, use it, why not? But, uh, well, if I'm honest, I tend to procrastinate until the last moment anyways, so but I did. do use that time. Uh, but on the other hand, um, let me ask you a question: What's better? Would you rather like spend mushrooms. ten months, ten months improving a rocket and hashing out important procedures and you know really thinking through things, or do you think it'd be better to launch it before the forty third anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution? <laughs> Bolshevik. <Bullshittic. laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bolshevik. That was th- That was accidental.
1: Uh, hey, listen. You know, as a podcast that's famous for missing deadlines. Uh my goal and also like you know just putting shit out there my goal
0: we're not famous for anything (laughs) (laughs)
1: like famous to me is what i mean like sure (laughs) uh we're notorious for uh for you know just uh doing things off the whim i say uh fly that fly that puppy build it as it goes that's what we're that's what we're doing here and it's absolutely well
0: it's working Build it while it's flying. <laughs> Just build it uh, while it
1: flies. Yeah,
0: for sure. But, well, maybe it's not fair to ask you because you're not in charge of making that decision.
1: No, I the mean, guy who, I, would, I would actually take the time to f- make sure it works right, but I know well, what they the guy, did.
0: <laughs> the guy who was in charge of that was a guy named Mitrofan Nadellen, Uh and he was the chief marshal of artillery, uh, which put him in charge of rockets. Uh, good for him. Now, the thing we're going to be talking about today or we have been working towards we are going to be talking about is called the nadellen catastrophe usually not good when anything gets named after you or or no that's
1: always been the case in the show yeah and
0: and if catastrophe is the next word that comes after (laughs) your name (laughs) doesn't bode well for this guy let's who is Nadelin, though? Mitrofan Uh He made his name shelling the ever-loving shit out of Nazis. Yeah, uh, he was right. awarded... You're right. Nothing wrong with that. You know, uh, yeah. He, they're Nazis. They're Nazis. He was even awarded uh, a Hero of the Soviet Union medal, which is like their gold star, uh, as a result of his heroic marmalizing of Nazis. Uh, After the war, froze to the ranks, eventually he's put in charge of the uh, rocket program as part of his general portfolio of responsibilities as the artillery guy. So he gives the order to start making the first rockets because he decides that's a pretty good way to get, you know, explosives from point A to point B. The Germans have been working on that. Um, He puts this guy, Mikhail Yangle, in charge of designing rockets, um, you know, that ultimately to get bombs to the United States as a small offshoot of this um, decision, this, this project, the space age was born uh, when it came time to uh, test the rocket. He made sure that he was personally uh, on hand along with a bunch of other hangers on and, and other people. So you got this rocket, you're way ahead of schedule and everyone agrees. That's pretty cool. So, why not take it for a test run, right? On October 23rd, 1960, which is about two weeks ahead of the uh, the actual anniversary. The anniversary is on November 7th, but you got to fly this thing, film it, and then, you know, get ready. It's a big PR thing, right? So they got to uh, got to get ahead of time. So they put this rocket onto a launch pad in the Baikonur Cosmodrome in Kazakhstan. Now, I'm sure you're picturing like a silo for launching icbms but uh that's that's yeah that's how they launched those things they would stand it up on a pad uh and because they're usually stored on their side so you got to stand it up and then you fuel it up and then you launch it all in all it would usually take about three hours to get one of these bad boys from from on its side in the air which is not great in in that era um, you know, now it's pretty quick, right? Sure. Um <clears throat> now why would they have to to fuel them up? Why can't you store the fuel in them? Well, <clears throat> here's the thing. At the time they used liquid fuel. Not just one fuel. If you use liquid fuel, you need actually the fuel itself, which is in this oxidizer. case was You're getting ahead of me, buddy. I know. I just I like to I like to just play <laughs> along, you know. <laughs> Playing along from home. Uh, <laughs> in this case, they are using uh, unsymmetrical dimethylhydrazine uh, and an oxidant to help it uh, burn because there's no oxygen in space where it's going to be spending a significant portion of its trip. Sure. Uh, the oxidizer they use is a solution of N2O4. So, two nitrogens, four oxygens, which is, uh, which is good. A lot of oxygen in Super there, right? You oxygen, want that. Yeah. Uh, and that was in nitric acid affectionately they would call this uh concoction devil's venom um this is the stuff that's the problem you could probably keep the unsymmetrical dimethylhydrazine in there for a while but this stuff has a 48 hour uh shelf life once you get it into the fuel tank it's an acid and it will burn through whatever you put it in within 48 hours
1: <sighs> yeah i've heard this i've heard um I think it was like, uh, I think they use hydrazine still in certain things or for a long time, even the states use hydrazine. Hydrazine or a fluorine, maybe? Yeah, there was a thing where there was this uh, in Arkansas where they had this Minuteman uh, torpedo uh, torpedo, um, ICBM that blew up. Because someone dropped a wrench. Yeah, we talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on the show. Did we talk about
0: it? No, I was actually just independently looking that up as part of this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> dude,
1: that's a great story. Uh, the book Command and Control. I read the book Command and Control, and it uh, the book kind of meanders between telling the story of this um, this uh, explosion in this two uh, silo, this nuclear uh, missile silo. So it tells the story, you know, every second or third chapter. But then throughout the rest of the book, it talks about the command and control structure of the United States and loosely uh, Russia, where it also looks at, um, you know, broken arrow incidents where they lost nukes or almost blew shit up. You you can't believe how many times uh, they almost accidentally detonated a nuke. And then also what the actual plans were for if there was a launch, like, you don't just bomb Moscow with one bomb. You hit it with, like, I don't know, like 15, 30 bombs. Like, it's insane.
0: Yeah. Blows your mind. It gets overkill at a certain point because they've oh got, like, God. hundreds of these things. So Dude, there's just there's You're not just going to do one per city, right? There's no <laughs> chance. Ugh. Um, so, yeah, this stuff, 48 hours once you get it in. Now, um, as you can imagine, uh, rockets are complicated. It's... It's literal rocket science, but sure. uh, yeah, a few things to note it's about not the construction podcasting. of this. This yeah, at least one thing to at least to note about. Uh, well, a few things note about the construction of this rock in particular. It had two stages. Kevin, you've played Kerbal. I know you know I love two stages. This shit Kerbal. <laughs> you know what two stages means, Absolutely. right? It has two two separate fuel tanks, each with their own booster. Uh, booster, yeah, and
1: it sheds the weight, and then you get the. That extra delta exactly. v out of your second stage when you don't have as much uh, atmosphere to fight with,
0: and exactly. Uh, so, what's your delta v? Is that like the thrust to throw del- ratio?
1: Delta v is like your uh, change in velocity.
0: Okay. Um, the the uh, you know the central problem obviously with sending not obviously maybe you don't know uh, but the central problem with sending things into space uh, is it takes fuel uh, to get things into space and fuel adds weight and so you put more fuel in and then you've got more weight and there's a break-even point and doing things like having separate fuel tanks to separate out certain parts of the journey really helps with controlling the weight portion of it right so the as the the rocket takes off it's supposed to shed the first stage which falls down and probably i don't know crushes some uh farmer in kazakhstan or something uh and then yeah then the second stage fires and and keeps going yeah um I think usually there's even like a tiny third stage for re-entry. Sometimes uh, like
1: the Saturn mm. Saturn rockets. So in order to get anything um, off the ground, you have to have a thrust to weight ratio greater than one. Uh, something like a Saturn rocket had a thrust to weight ratio of 1.5, and we're talking like that's that thing was huge, right? And I'm pretty yeah. sure that was a three-stage rocket.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, and then it had all the stuff, yeah. I mean, technically, if you add the lemon to that, it would probably be like a four-stage.
0: I digress. <laughs> you do digress. I really like rockets. And that's rockets. fine. And that's fine. Hey, we're talking about <coughs> rockets, right? Love rockets. So as part of the um, launch procedure here, the, there's no delicate way to put this. They had a section of perforated metal that like was not baffles. quite that that well it, it was acting as a valve. So how does perforated metal act as a valve? If you use blasting powder to blow out the perforated metal, then it's open. So, so that's how they were using perforated metal as a valve because they're not reusing these rockets. They don't give a shit what happens to any part of this. So rather than having like a fancy, you know, hydraulic system for a a valve and stuff. Yeah. No, they said that they, they perforated some metal where the, uh, where the, you know, pipe would hook up and they would blow it out with blasting powder. That Uh, seems like a bad idea. Funny enough, this isn't actually directly responsible for what happens, but, it, you just, but it's just part of the story. But it, it's one of the kind of janky design decisions on this thing that we're, we're going to go through. Um, but these blasting caps were known to fail frequently. So their solution to this was to have a guy go and get as close as he could in or on the rocket uh, to where this this valve oh, was we're calling it a valve um, and listen for the pop to make sure that it, that it went off right oh. so they get the guy up there they're supposed to be blowing the um, the top part first so this the second stage they <laughs> this guy's up there he's listening they hit the button he doesn't hear shit okay but then they see smoke coming from the bottom part. So they think the wiring's fucked up, but they don't know how bad the wiring is fucked up. Is it, is, is it just this issue? If they hit the other button, is the other one going to go? They don't know. I don't know. Maybe they tried the other button and it didn't, but for whatever reason, they come to the conclusion that the rocket is broken electrically. This is the first sign of trouble. Tick tock, 48 hours, right? So the two questions they're facing are um, problems they have. Do, do they know if the electronics are working? And can they figure it out in 48 hours? Uh, you would think that it would be just a simple matter of siphoning fuel out of the rocket to buy themselves some time. But there was no procedure in place to do that. They literally didn't know how to do it, but it's 10 months early. So that's, yeah, lots
1: that's to good. It out, I guess.
0: Uh, well, no, they have 48 hours to figure it out, uh, or less. So they decide basically to replace the entire wiring chassis from what I understand on this thing while it's on the launch pad full of fuel. Like oh, that's people are like, People are like putting ladders right up to the rocket, getting up there, hammering on shit, and ripping you know, wires out. ripping yeah.
1: sparks and shit.
0: Yeah, um, on something that's pretty much a time bomb. Uh, Chief Marshal Nadellan, he wouldn't hear of anybody belly aching about how dangerous this was. And to prove his point, he set up a lawn chair right beside the rocket to personally uh, supervise repairs. Now, the repairs went on overnight. 23rd turned into the 24th. The next day, around 6 p.m., that's how long they'd been working on it, at least 24 hours at that point. I couldn't tell exactly how long when they'd started this launch procedure, but they'd been working on it for quite some time at that point. Around 6 p.m., they're within about a half hour of being able to launch this thing, they think. There's a chance they can pull this off, but... Ah, it's the it's the smallest things it's the smallest things that you don't think about, especially when you don't have a whole lot of procedure ironed out that can kind of trip you up because it's cold in Kazakhstan in November, and batteries don't work as well in the cold so they started the battery early and here's how this battery on this rocket worked <laughs> You know how a battery, it's got like a, it's, it's got two chemicals. It's got an electrolyte, or le, not electrolyte, an electrolyzer. Um, and then it's got the other chemical, which I'm not sure, but. Cathode and I, anode. <coughs> sure. Cathode and an anode, I think. It, yeah, One an of them's full of electrons and the other one's got, you know, some positive stuff. You can mix that together. You can have them separate and you can have it like be the, the, the metal that determines, you know, what draws what out, but basically you need those chemicals, you need metal contacts to make that work. Well, here's how they designed their their battery, because they wanted their battery, they only needed to work for a short period of time, right? Yeah. Need it need it to not be working at all and then working like instantly. So the solution was there was a hydraulic pump that was hooked up to a balloon. And that balloon was full of the chemical that had all the electrons Uh, in it. And then it was kind of suspended over a pit with the other chemical in it. Now, the hydraulic pump would start blowing up the balloon, and eventually that balloon would come into contact with a knife, which would pop the balloon. Yep. This is their battery? (laughs) It's kind of of this Rube Goldberg sort of... uh, That's how that, that was... Why wouldn't they just use a battery, man? Like batteries were invented by then. Because I think the idea is that if you put a car battery in it, even if you just leave it long enough. It'll freeze. It'll it'll freeze or it'll just lose its charge over time. So they need something that when they go to use it, they need to know it's gonna work every time. So they keep the chemicals totally separate. I don't know. And this is this, their man. this is their system to to mix them. I don't know about <laughs> <this>. <laughs> I think is the most hilarious thing in the world. I don't know.
1: <laughs> it seems like I've never even heard of that. Yeah. Like, it's not even one of those things where you're like, oh, yeah, that's how they used to do it. No. <laughs> like it's- Nobody does it like that. No. That's insane. It's terrible idea. It's 1960. Yeah. Like, if you said 1904, I'd be like, yeah, okay, well, they didn't know about these other things. <laughs> I'd be like, 1960, you can put a fucking thermal blanket on a battery or something a heater on a battery, a battery with a backup battery, something, man.
0: I don't know. I don't know what battery technology was like in 1960. Know, Anyhow, yeah. carry on. That's how they. It's, that's how they did it. Um, now, like I said, this is a complicated machine. A lot of things need to happen at specific times. You know, like the first stage. You light the first stage. How does it know when to fire the second stage? Right. How does it? Uh, I don't know. I assume that in there's this some kind of um,
1: in that day and age without computers, uh, you could have had some kind of like um, like you know how you can have like a bimetallic strip that when it reaches a certain heat it it creates a charge. Uh, I don't. I know that some of the stuff for like the Apollo ones they had actual like blasting charges in the rims so that it would blow, send the stage previous out and then the stage below it or inside it would ignite and it would be clear of the debris. Uh, I don't know how they trigger it to be honest.
0: Well, what they had uh, was a timing motor, which think of that as like almost like a music box, like it would wind up at a certain point and when you start it, it's just going to run on a fixed schedule. Think of it like a camshaft attached to a sort of music box that just kind of slowly turns. And as it turns at certain moments, it's going to complete electrical contacts or, you know, come into contact to complete a circuit, which will then trigger, you know, something to happen at a specific time. So, you know. you think
1: know, it plays any me- creepy music, like music box music?
0: I don't, but let's just imagine Let's that imagine it does. It does. It's more yeah. fun
1: that you imagine that it's like, dee, Playing <laughs> like some little, like, Russian song.
0: Uh, yes. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. So it's got the shaft that, that rotates and controls the, the which is a, a, a fine design. Uh, when everything is kind of happening normally. Pardon me. But during repairs, this thing had kind of gotten out of alignment for some reason. I don't know if it's people like climbing all over it or for whatever reason, it just wasn't in the right spot to start. Now, this is fine as the shaft can be reset. There's a procedure for that, funny enough. Good thing, right? But but when you reset the shaft... It would pass by and momentarily touch the connection that was responsible for starting the second stage of the rocket. Now, normally, this wouldn't be an issue as the battery shouldn't be on when this is happening. Oh no! So Yangle, I don't know if I, I if I actually talked about Yangle. I, I don't, He's Yangle the guy.
1: Seems new to me.
0: Yeah, sorry. He is in my notes somewhere, but he's the chief designer of this rocket. I think I mentioned him earlier. He's he's there too. Chief chief engineer, chief designer. He's there. He's been working on this thing all night. Around 6:45 at night, he decides to go to the smoking bunker to have a cigarette. Supposedly, he's there with a couple other engineers. Supposedly when he lit his lighter, he had enough of a moment to be really surprised by the size of the flash that it produced. And then there was the tremendous sound of an explosion. Uh, by coincidence, he had lit his lighter at the exact moment that some poor schmuck had adjusted the timing motor and set off the second stage oh, while, oh boy. while it was still, sitting inside and sort of on top of the first stage. And obviously that's not good for the first stage. So the first stage very shortly thereafter exploded. Um, The luckiest people, I would argue were in the smoking bunker because they survived. The second luckiest people were the people who were on ladders around the rocket and the people who were in the immediate vicinity because they got vaporized instantly. The remaining people supposedly oh, fled towards the perimeter oh of the site while they were on fire, um, got snagged up by the barbed wire and fencing, fell down, and uh, choked on the toxic gas that had already settled yeah, into any <clears throat> low lying area. Super
1: toxic. And I'd assume the super other one was toxic.
0: Too. So, all in all, uh, about 120 people died Jeez. in this explosion. Um, the The only pieces of Nadellen, the guy in the lawn chair, <laughs> who was beside the rocket, that they were able to locate was his melted gold star. Uh, they found it apparently me- melted into the concrete. Uh, part of one of the shoulder boards of his uniform. Oh, shit. And, uh, and his watch survived which was stopped at uh, at the time of the explosion there was nothing else left of him no kidding yeah um sovietly le- the soviet leader khrushchev he arrives on the scene and supposedly yangle this poor guy who had gone for a cigarette he yelled at him uh the guy was already blaming himself for what had happened because he designed the, the thing but Khrushchev shows up and yells at him and says, "Why aren't you dead? <laughs> yeah, Basically, you should be dead too." Right. Yeah, <laughs> did he uh, end that up guy
1: executed? Oh, okay.
0: no, he yeah. no. Actually, they held somebody responsible. I didn't look into who that guy was because I don't think that guy survived. They usually just find some dead person and call them the yeah yeah scapegoat, right? Scapegoat. Um, he had a heart attack though uh, a few months later you know, due to the stress he lived, but he was never the same. He, he had been like a pretty ambitious guy. He had been gunning for the top well, job. Hey, you're a rocket
1: scientist, man. You He's a rocket a scientist.
0: No, no. Um, but he was, yeah, he, that was kind of it for him. Uh, everyone who died at the accident officially died in a plane crash. Uh, and the explosion was actually kept secret until the collapse of the Soviet union no, in shit. the 1990s. Yeah technically secret the allies mostly knew about it they learned about it from escape scientists the u.s had pictures of the of the blast site um, but they chose not to say anything because you know in in those circumstances it's uh you know worth your time to not say what you know right
1: yeah for sure for sure Keep Um, keep it on the down low
0: yeah one little fun offshoot of this is that uh this set that you know, their ICBM project back a little over a year, but they were 10 months ahead. Um, so they only lost two months.
1: Is that how that math would work? I guess. Yeah.
0: I, I would know. put it at more because, you know, who knows, who's to say that if they hadn't lost like, or if they hadn't launched six months ahead that, you know, this wouldn't have happened. Um, anyways, as a direct result of this, the USSR temporarily kind of leaned away from ICBMs and pursued a plan to put uh, intermediate-range ballistic missiles or or IRBMs somewhere closer to the US, like uh, I don't know Cuba. Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that <laughs> so, one of yeah. the reasons why they they
1: picked? Yeah, like they started pushing at Cuba because they'd had these, uh, these events around their ICBMs where they weren't successful. Yep. No shit. This eh? one
0: and yeah, this one in oh. particular. Well, and it like good one story. Of the reasons, Matt. One of the reasons that the Allies knew that something had happened is because they they noticed that like, hey, there's like there's like twenty or thirty rocket scientists that nobody has seen in a long time. Oh, like they
1: what lost happened? a bunch of their scientists. It wasn't oh, just yeah.
0: workers; it was like
1: scientists and everything.
0: Oh yeah, yeah they. It was like all hands yeah. on deck. Yeah, they lost a ton of ton of God people. God damn, which is awful, yeah, awful tragedy. Um, I always find
1: it it's funny whenever you hear stories about um, specifically anything that that goes bad in the Soviet Union is the um, polit. What do they call it over there? Politburo. Like the the politic, uh, the basically the bureaucracy of the communist system was just like this, like uh, just this maze of awful shit, where the bureaucracy, like the the minister of homes and the like, you know, all these different layers of government watching other layers of government being watched by other layers of government. You know what I mean? And yeah. everything was just almost very. Um, competitive to the point I thought you were going to say Orwellian well but but you know and then you had all these kind of things that would go wrong like Chernobyl yeah you know the ministry of uh the the different ministries and and whatnot they didn't communicate with each other and and everything was just fucked up which is the
0: same that's like I don't think that's necessarily something that's uh it was maybe particularly bad in the Soviet system, but, I mean, that happens everywhere, right? Like, yeah, but competition the, between...
1: I think the bureaucracy in the Soviet system, I mean, the Soviet system basically is bureaucracy from everything I've seen. Like, it's just, like, it's just you a bureaucratic what system.
0: What's that? So, <laughs> remember when we were working at the at the yeah, bridge? yeah. 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 And how could I forget? You nope. Know, we both worked at at types of businesses where, like, you, there'd be an office in the location that we worked at, and there'd be an office in a different location, and it didn't matter what company you worked for; it was always, oh, those clowns in the you know X location. Oh, dude, it's you, night there shifts. was no. Yeah, but there night, was like the night shift. There was this. no competition between people who are in in the same location working for different businesses. There was almost more animosity between people who are working in those businesses with other siloed sites inside that business, right? Yeah, yeah, I can see. Like, that. I work for Company X in in location Y. You know, but my real nemesis are the people who work for Company X in location Z.
1: Yeah. I get what you're saying. I don't know, man. It's just, I mean, obviously it's a weird system, especially yeah. us, right? Like, I mean, like I've always been fascinated by kind of that Soviet era, like anything twentieth century uh, you know, tickles my fancy. I know a lot about World War One and Two and Cold War and and all that. Like any kind of twentieth century history, I I really dig, and I'm always fascinated by. The Soviets, because it was such a closed off society. Yeah. You know, that you don't really like what you saw and what you were told. Um, and then what it was probably really like, you know, trying to learn that to me, it just fascinates me. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're kind of being thanks right now, but I've always wanted uh, to go there. Yeah. I mean, to say the least, right? Like, fuck. <laughs> Get out of there, you assholes.
0: But anyhow It's such a such an interesting it's such an interesting place and such an interesting culture.
1: Well, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like geographically we have a lot in common with them in a way. Yeah. We live in a cold as fuck country. You know, that's kind of broke. <laughs> like not really, but like mm-hmm. it, you know, the the Soviets we play were, hockey. Yeah, we play hockey. The, the Soviets were always kind of like, uh, like Canada's always kind of been like America's poor, poor relations. You know, <laughs> like actually, I don't know, I don't know. Like driving around, our roads are a lot nicer than the roads I see over across. You know way, what we are? What's that?
0: We're we're the friend that's following America around, that's always apologizing for them.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
0: good <laughs> analogy. That's I'm probably a better I'm analogy. S-
1: I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I am so sorry. He's he gets like He that. gets like this sometimes.
0: Oh, man. Every once in a while he goes on a bender. It's really
1: weird. <laughs> you realize that that's our relationship with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Who's who? I that's the thing. I don't know. I think it Take switches turns. back and forth. <laughs> man, that's
0: a, well, that was a really good story. I like that. Yep. So learned a little bit about rockets, learned a little bit about uh, history, and a little bit about uh, sociology, I would there you say. Go. Yeah. You got a closing fact and for we me. I learned there? a
1: little bit about Matt. Oh, what's that? That I'm <laughs> <laughs> the world's biggest Mel Gibson fan. Well, I didn't say the biggest.
0: <laughs> you know what I will say? I like the movie Conspiracy Theory. That was a oh, good there one. There you go. Mm hmm.
1: Um, and it has nothing to do with his anti-Semitism. You're a very uh, non-anti-Semitic, uh, you know, very good. Person I d- I don't way. have any, any particular any. Now it's and it you know it's one of those things like you, you can't agree with everything your hero does. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes you have a bit of an anti-hero, and I get that. It's fine. This
0: is the weirdest fucking bit. Uh,
1: Anyhow Kev's closing fact Cats Make about 100 Ah. different sounds Whereas dogs Make only about 10 And if you want If you want to win today's match Today's episode You can make All 10 of those dog sounds (laughs) (laughs) No
0: well so there's the bark do it so, Boof <laughs> <laughs> you gotta growl
1: okay let's hear it Grr. <laughs>
0: that's two'll yawn okay oh. no that's not, that's pretty good yeah you got one of those uh they will whine hmm so you got you got that I couldn't hear that because of Discord, but... Yeah, it's because of Discord. It's in there, I promise. Uh, and then... Uh, so I don't even know how many I got there. Um, they Well, they bring breathing noises. Are we counting breathing uh, noises? No. Nah. Panting?
1: Uh, no, nah, that's more of just a result of air. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's a noise. Like, a I would day.
0: say, like, are we... Okay, there's, there's the howls. Yelp. Oh, a howl. Yelp. That's a good one. Yeah. Okay, do that yeah. <laughs> And a Yelp. <laughs> oh, uh, they do this one. <laughs> Shaggy. <laughs> oh, my God, I'm done.
1: <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm done. Thanks. Thanks Goodbye. for listening. Bye.
0: <laughs> Thank you for listening to Facts Schmacks.
1: We hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to hear more, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash
0: Schmacks Or you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube or on twitter.com at Pod
1: We also have a website, factshmacks.xyz. Cause we know you haven't had enough yet. Share.